Welcome to episode 35 of the Rose and Brass Knuckles podcast. I'm your boy, Zachary Davis. All right, this will keep it Jabala, man. Good to see you this week, bro. Good to see you this week, man. How was your weekend, man, last week? <laughs> man, it was good, man. We um getting ready to drop this next issue of YBE Magazine tomorrow. And everything. So it's uh, go time around that, getting ready for the exhibition on April 30th. So I got to come. Actually, I'm coming to Atlanta tomorrow to uh, pick up. Oh, okay some artwork and you know see the girls for a minute and man we just keep it in mashing man just keep it in mashing that's what's up that's what's up man yeah so last weekend we uh my daughter had her last volleyball tournament man we uh went up to kentucky it was the it was the last dance like michael uh-huh. jordan you know some tears were shared from her and me probably you uh-huh. know what i'm saying like it just was uh you know, it's a you know, it's a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Just seeing her develop into the player she became and you know, listening to some things I told her, you know what I'm saying? And the teachers from, you know, of course others, I wasn't no volleyball expert, but you know, just telling them about, you know, grinding and you know, working out and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I couldn't be more proud of her. You know, she went from, you know, like uh you, you 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 know the story, but uh, for our listeners, you know, in eighth grade, she didn't make the team, you know, that kind of lit a fire under her and, you know, she really wanted to play and, you know, she just blossomed into, you know, a good player, made all region in the high school, you know, kind of turned around the high school program, you know, a star player there. You know, she's had some college offers. We don't know if we're going to go with that just because there wasn't enough money involved. But, you right. know, <laughs> right, 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 but, right. You know, I, you know again, I, I'm, I'm super proud of her and just the player she became. And, you know, just these milestones, man, man. you start thinking about, you know, they just clipping away. And, you know, we about, uh, you know, probably a little bit about, about about a little over under 60 days from graduation. Mm. So, you know, that's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's coming up fast. And, you know, it's just uh, in a little bit it'll be time to go to school about four or five months. So, yeah. you know, and we narrowing down those choices. So, you know, just, you know, as we always say, just real time being real fathers, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. Yeah. and doing and I definitely, things. man, man, I want to say congratulations and hats off, man, because a lot of cats don't get their roses while they're here. And a lot of yeah. cats don't really understand, cats and kittens, don't really understand yeah. how much work goes into assembly. You know, yes. but even with Lil G starting in the eighth grade and not being able to get on, a lot of people don't understand how much you had to put in. And I'm not taking anything from Big G. I'm just saying yeah. how much as a man, as a husband, as a father, you had to put in in order for her oh, to yeah. get. And, and unfortunately, man, we live in a space where brothers don't get the credit and like just the hand claps that they deserve. We deserve because Everybody needs to know that we appreciate you, man. So no, I appreciate that. That's definitely that's definitely love. I definitely appreciate it, man. And you know, you know, I always give you your flowers as well, man. It's just uh, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, my wife probably don't know this, but you know, I, I was just always that type of guy that you know, I knew if I had a kid, that's why I only got a bunch of them running around because I knew when I had one, I was gonna be there from start to finish. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh. Like, you know, at least make it to 18 years, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh you know, I you yeah. know, not that I'm about to walk out the door. And the <laughs> you know, my daughter turned 18 in July, but <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I'm just playing. But uh, you know, she'll she'll slap me when she hit his next week. But uh, no, no, no. But uh, it's just a you know, just like we said, just another milestone. And man, it's just it's great to witness it. And you know, I I mean, I I shout out all our you know our homeboys and you know things like that because we don't tend to mess with guys that that aren't good fathers or good men. You know what I'm saying? And so that's just something that you know we kind of stood by. And I, I'm just happy, you know, all of us because a lot of us 
didn't have a, you know, a father in the household, you know, whether it was the full time or period of time or wasn't raised around, you know, a real father or something like that. Your father, of course, passed away early. You know what I'm saying? Like just to, you know, turn out to do what we supposed to do and do the right thing. Right. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this week's episode is entitled Black Boy Blues. And so we have been getting a lot, you know, a, a, a lot of feedback about uh, mental health and things like that. I apologize. I had to look down. My wife was trying to text me. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, we um, we get a lot of emails about uh, messages about mental health. And, you know, it's something that Okiba and I talk about offline a lot, you know, and um, we send, you know, back and forth texts with, you know, with other friends of ours as well. And it's just I don't think that a lot of people understand what it takes to walk these streets as a black man in America. Man. You know what I mean? Just, this is just a quick example of, of something. That, like I said, I was just out of town and um, the program I'm on, I got to do two workouts a day and one of them has to be outside for 45 minutes. It's a mental program as long as, as well as a fitness, but you know, that's uh, neither here nor there. But so when I'm going out of town, my whole thought process was like, well, where am I going to walk at and stuff like that when I'm outside? Like, you know, let me get my wallet and, um, you know, make sure I got my wallet on me and don't put it in my, let me put it in my hoodie pocket instead of my, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have to process all this just to, just to go for a walk. Right. Like I'm just going for <laughs> literally That's a walk. It. Like, but these are things that, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a mid forties black man. So, you know, I know young boys probably don't think about it as much as they should, but these are the type of things we have to deal with and think about. Right. Right. And when you look at that, we live in a space where, unfortunately, it's like we have trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. So then when you look at that part of it, it's saying like you're saying, like basic things like just just going to the grocery store, going to exercise, going going to the car to, to put air in your tire, putting gas in your car. All those things. It's just like so many different layers of trauma that we end up having to stomach. And a lot of folks just really don't care. And they don't pay attention to what we what we go through, man. Yeah. And, and and we're telling you as men the things that we have to consider as men. So let's rewind it to when we're, we're, we're young men and the things that you have to endure and the choices you have to make. And you know what I'm saying? The things you have to think about. And I, I, I just don't think that black boys get that kind of thought, you know, the, what right. they've gone through and the trauma and the PTSD and, you know, just everything that comes with it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And. You know, it, it's um, you know, it's just a it, it, it's a whole ball of wax. You know what I'm saying? A ball of string or whatever you want to call it. You know that comes with it. Right. And people don't, you know, they don't get enough consideration about you know what we had to go through. And you know, again, like I said, the choices we have to make. Like you know, we come from a culture where entertainments and sports are celebrated. Like you know, I can remember you know, Okeem and I are both you know tall, bigger brothers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I can remember from a child. Nobody was never like, oh, you will go to college and be an architect or be a doctor. Right. Like, oh, you will right. play football. You will right. play basketball. Like, I mean, this right. this is a, a constant thing for my grandmother. They weren't saying anything wrong, but they just didn't know any better. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it wasn't something that was discussed. Right, right. So when looking at that, we got a special guest, man, that's coming in, Brother Ed Gons, man. He's in the waiting room. So what you say we go ahead and uh, pull Ed in? Yeah, let's bring him in. Let's bring him okay. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Man, welcome to uh, Roses and Brass Knuckles, brother. It's always great to see you, man. So, yeah, we got the good brother, Ed. Ed, why don't you give us a little introduction, um, you know, on yourself, man? Well, I am a black man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people that look like us ain't claiming us, right? Yeah, so, that's uh, the truth. I'm, man, I'm, a, I'm just a cool, sweet tea, 
drinking cat from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I'm an educator. Uh, I'm a doctoral candidate in psychology. I run an organization called From Afros to Shell Toes, which is all about making mental health and especially for, for black people and black men, making it cool in our community, making, you know, those kind of resources accessible. So I spend a lot of time talking about mental health from an African centered perspective that we can relate to. So you won't even know I'm talking about therapy or psychological stuff because I break it down in the language that we use. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm an educated barbershop guy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about me, man. I've also been involved with sports, coaching and mentoring athletes um, much of my career. So, you know, I'm working now on my doctoral internship where I see clients and I see black men and I work with um, black men athletes, man. So my, my dissertation is on the uh, racism, the gender racism that black men experience in white spaces more specifically in college. You know, the more education we have, as you already know, the racism goes up exponentially. So, yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. And I think, you know, I, I applaud you, brother, you know, for bringing that to the space. And I think you come from a unique perspective because, you know, a lot of us are scared of therapy and hearing <laughs> things about mental health and things like that. And, well, we're scared of doctors anyway half the time, but yeah. you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely something that's, you know, been getting more talked about in the community, but I, um, I, again, I applaud you because it's definitely, we need somebody that kind of bridges that gap from, you know, talking above our heads to talking on our level, you know, in our language, you know, as we say. Yeah. And I well, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I, I credit that to my, my, um, my grandparents. Like I'm a, I'm a brother from the South. My people are from South Georgia and Mississippi. So, you know, I try to be very grounded and I know that, that just having education doesn't shield me from the racism that everybody experiences. It's no different from what I go through to a, to a brother on the corner still trying to find his way. We, we have the same realities as black men. Mm-hmm. Education doesn't shield me from anything. Yeah. So one of the things I like to throw out there is Zach and I were talking about. Zach and I grew up together e, um, from sixth grade on up, right? And oh, I, he knows Barlow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we grew up together, right? And um, mm-hmm. we were talking about just some of the difficulties of being smart like boys. Okay. And cool and everything. So looking at where we grew up, how we grew up, it's not fashionable to be the smart guy. So, mm-hmm. so you end up having to develop this dual personality where you have mm-hmm. the one version of yourself who can exist academically. But then you got this other version of yourself who has to maneuver around in the streets. Then you got this third version that that you're aware of. At least I had a third version that was aware of watching everything happen. And then from that point where you're not seen as attractive to the black girls, because the black girls don't like smart black boys. You know, so you end up having to develop all these different personalities that grow yes. into a Balo, a Jabalo. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So from your professional standpoint, do you think that's like a common thing or what exactly is that? What that is, is developing adaptive strategies, right? So we as black men and black people have to develop strategies to cope with systems of oppression, to cope with identity conflicts. So, so actually it's in keeping with, with the innate principles of black psychology. I was trained by Dr. Joe White, the godfather of black psychology. 
And so some of the, the unique characteristics of black life are, are caught up in the tenets of black psychology. So what you were doing was improvisation, learning on the fly. Right. You know what I'm saying? Resiliency is another you know, key component of black psychology um connectedness to others is another one so what you was doing was the, the psychological black psychological principle of improvisation and you're you're trying to find a way to cope with different circumstances what happens with 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 black men is that we're contending with a lot of stereotypes and when you don't meet limited conceptions that white folks have placed on what black male identity should be, i.e., we are thugs or we are either hoopers, we can't have multiple personalities or multiple things that we're interested in. When you are smart, you are a threat. You know, from, from slavery all the way up to now, um, there's been a fear of black men because they know we are powerful, we are kings. And that we're given the right resources, we're going to thrive. So by being smart, you are a threat to white supremacy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that was a deep one. That was a deep one. <laughs> that was a deep one. That was a deep one. Uh, but you know, I also think that black black men suffer from always having to feel to be hyper masculine. You know, we hear about to- uh-huh, uh-huh. toxic masculinity, but. You know, yes. they don't talk enough about hyper masculinity. Like, you know, you got to be tough. You got to be, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We, uh, Okiba and I in our mid 40s. So we kind of came up in, on the, the, the curve of the gangster era. And you know yeah. what I'm saying? You had to be a bad boy. And you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, not, you know, not everybody so dope, but you know, that kind of era, you know I what I'm saying? And, and things like that. And so wh- what do you think that kind of, you know, uh, you know what I mean? I don't know what to call it, but like that. That um, you know what I mean, that hyper masculinity, what 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 does that come from? And you know, yeah. what does that do to us? That's white folks though, right? So yeah. what we don't realize, <laughs> what we don't realize, we're imitating poor, toxic visions of white manhood. You know what I'm saying? So so our visions of manhood are informed by these sorry definitions that white men have have given us, right? So when we look at America, how do white men handle their problems? When they have conflict, they choose violence. What do we do? When we have some conflict, we're socialized to choose violence. When white men don't get their way, they take their ball and go home. When we get upset, we have problems processing emotion. White life is not about emotional expression, it's about keeping things in. We mimic that. And so how, how, how we deal with things, we've been socialized from these white supremacist frameworks to respond in ways that they do. So in black life, if you take an African-centered perspective, we are an expressive people, right? If me, yeah. you, and Okiba got together, man, like we talking now, like we just like I, I just met you, Zach, we could talk for days, right? Because yeah. that's black life, emotional expression, getting things out. But when we mimic what we see in white men, those are poor definitions of manhood. What we what we have to understand is that when I say getting back to being African centered, there are certain values of communalism um, that, that we have in the black community, emotional expression, getting things out. But it's when we try to mimic these visions, these toxic visions of masculinity from white men. That's where we fail, brother. And when looking at what I would say is like, you know, the South in our community is considered mm-hmm. to be rude to, for another brother to walk by another brother and not 
give you that head nod. Like whenever exactly. I walk into a space mm-hmm. with other black men, I always scan the room and then I pay yep. attention to who gives me that nod, who I give that nod. Yep. But it's yeah. one of those things where it's become normalized to not give that nod, to not even lock eyes mm-hmm. with Because then if you lock eyes, you may be thinking, okay, that's confrontation. That's like, like a gorilla seeing a gorilla and we got to fight each other. Instead yeah. of just saying, no, I'm looking to see who my allies are in this space. Mm-hmm. So when you have that kind of reality that you're surrounded with, so even when, you know what I'm saying, we all have wives, we all have children. So yeah. even in going on like vacations or going in these places where we're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to relax, I can't yeah. even relax because I'm paying attention to everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when you look at that, when looking at some of the answers of how do we self-help or self-medicate in a, in, a, in a healthy way, not getting high, not getting drunk, just that, but just a healthy way, what would you, what would you, how, which direction would you point us in? Regards, I I would say this we got to be some bad, powerful brothers that our mere presence upsets people. So it's really, it's really flipping into a positive. Like, we got to be kings and powerful if just our presence makes people lose their damn mind. So I try to flip it into a positive, but you know. Part of black life, the reality that we live in, we are always watching our backs because we are considered a threat. So I, I give you a perfect example. I just I just gave a job talk. Right. And I was treated no different in that job talk than when I'm following around the store with this hoodie on. Right. Because my level of intelligence you know, my background, I probably had better credentials than probably this whole department that I interviewed for. But that was problematic because they are used to a certain stereotype. And so when you don't meet that stereotype as a, as a black man, uh, you have problems. But what we have to understand is that when someone hates you, it's nothing that you can do to change that. What right. you have to do is find ways within yourself to have the confidence to know that there's nothing wrong with you that you are a powerful person. But but what we lost a sense of is the communal spirit of elders helping younger brothers. Now, I'm sure if I say this, y'all going to say amen. When we were coming up, the hustlers and the other people that were doing things that people would say were wrong, I would call it the underground economy because black men are locked out of traditional opportunities, so we got to hustle, right? Yes. But the hustlers was giving you the game to not be like them. They were like, Ed, you the smart one. Okay, I'm going to give you all the science so you ain't got to make these certain choices, right? But what happened, you know, with integration is that it broke down that communal spirit of the elders giving brothers the science. So now we we have kids that we have failed because we have not been in their lives to put them on game. And so getting put on game is how we, all of us on this, on this Zoom call are still here because we got put up on game on the rules of engagement. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so, and so, so when I see brothers and people say these young cats are lost, no, they're not lost. They are victims of not being put up on game. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're not lost. They not, they just not taught. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, what do you think the, you know, a lot of our, this kind of goes back in history to, uh, you know, almost slavery. I know that from the time when a lot of fathers were pulled out of the homes, our mothers mm-hmm. had to be tough on us. 
Yeah. And it kind of goes yeah. back to the old adage, like, well, you know, where you used to hear that the, the mother used to want to whoop the slave child so the master mm-hmm. wouldn't whoop him. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, if the father wasn't there, you know, Okeem and I both were, you know, raised by our mothers. Our, you know, they they tough mothers. You know, Miss Brown just as tough as my mama, you know what I mean? And they don't play. And so, you know, as we're told, like, as black boys, don't cry and don't do mm-hmm. that. Do you, what kind of psychological effect do you think that has on us, you know, from coming from these tough black women, you know, they doing the best they can to raise us as yeah. men, but you know what I mean? What do you think that um, damages that's, us? That's some of the toxic messages that we get from white men. White white, white men, are, you know, traditionally are, are not emotionally expressive and see vulnerability as weakness. So them preparing us had certain functions, right? Because there was a time, you know, where if you were not hard or, or got rules of engagement, you could die. You know, so from slavery to Jim Crow to now, part of that was an adaptive strategy. I got to be hard so you understand that that the rules of engagement, because I love you and don't want you to die. What was missing in in the rules of engagement was, was making it comfortable for Black men to express vulnerability and weakness. So that muscle is very weak. Because we've never been taught it's okay to cry. One of the best episodes of a television show that deals with this Blackish's new episode, they talk about crying, right? And the grandfather, Lawrence Fishburne character is like, y'all over there crying, yada, yada, yada. But Junior is of this new generation where they've been taught to emotionally express. He's upset. You know, he challenges his father. To, to look him in the eyes and then the father breaks down. And then Lawrence Fishburne is like, y'all, y'all, y'all soft. And then they challenge him and then he breaks down, right? Because mm-hmm. he realizes that he has been modeling an emotional behavior that's problematic. So we have to tell brothers it's okay to cry, it's okay to be vulnerable, and we have to see that as strength and not weakness. But the toxicity of these notions of manhood that we get from white folks, right, we feel that that's wrong. And so we grow up carrying so many traumas, our black boy blues, right, that we can't articulate it because we're not good at emotional expression. So one of the things that I've tried to do and raising my son is to make him expressive. And my son can tell me what's wrong. We have sessions where he just vents and talk because I want him to be able to do that. You know, some people in my family said I was making him soft, but how that helps with his personal development, when you love yourself and you know that you can express yourself and that people are going to care about you, whether you're up or down, that actually instills self-esteem. So he's not going to have a problem knowing himself because he has no problem with the ups and downs that he's experiencing because he knows there's a place that he can process that. When thinking about um, like what you just said, I remember when my dad passed away uh, when I was mm-hmm. 10 and he gave me that, that deathbed, don't cry, this, that, and the third. So, mm-hmm. you know, I processed that. So even at the funeral, I'm telling my mom, I'm telling my sister, hey, don't cry. And I'm the youngest sibling. So fast forward into the grand opening of the gallery down here, right? So I had family members in there I hadn't seen since I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And I'm looking across the gallery. And honestly, and my dad is buried right across the street. So not across the street, but the next street over. So I started talking and then I said, how many of y'all remember my daddy? 
And honestly, I just felt this wave of emotion, tears coming out. And people that know me know I ain't like a soft, chewy dude, but my levels of expression, my artistry, I don't feel no way about being honest about whatever my emotions are at that time. Don't mean I ain't going to crack your head. It just means Mm -hmm. I'm standing in a space physically where I grew up, right around the corner from where my daddy's buried. And I ain't even supposed to be here. Based on everything that's been done, everything that I've done, I ain't, I'm not even supposed to be, and I'm sure not supposed to be here opening the art gallery. That ain't supposed to be happening at all, right? <laughs> you ain't supposed to own nothing. <laughs> Especially here. You ain't supposed to. And Zia tell you, like, Charleston is a whole different framework. So I'm sitting there, and my family's sitting there looking at me, and I'm looking at them. You know, and then guests are looking and they're like, man, I'll keep us sitting there crying. I'm not like boo-hoo, but I'm crying like tears of relief, tears of joy, tears of pain. Like my dad ain't here, but I'm here. So with me being here, I'm the only thing close to my dad. Like when people see me, they see my dad. That's They don't even see me. You know what I'm saying? They see him. So when looking at that part, you know, what are some of the, um, like, let's say if you have a single mother or or just a brother in general, combination Mm -hmm. between single mother a young brother, mid-aged brother, this and the third, what are some of the tools that we can provide to help these black boys, young black men, mid-aged black men feel safe about being themselves? You know, uh, the whole don't cry thing is one of them, man. Like, how many times have we heard that in our life? You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) let's start there. Cry if you have to, right? So we so we have to, from a young age, make brothers comfortable with expressing difficulty and processing through things. So what does that mean? Mom, I was bullied at school. OK, so what happened? You know, giving us space to talk about difficulty, transitions and things that are difficult. Right. When you create a space for someone to talk about difficulty and to process mixed emotions or difficult emotions, what you are modeling for them is emotional expression that is okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have multiple things that are going on with you and, and, and you validate, right? So the key is to validate emotional expression, to validate um, vulnerability where it's not seen as abnormal. Like, you know, we have people our age that think it's abnormal to be vulnerable because they're holding on to these tenets of, you know, being told not to cry or express themselves. So that's not a weakness. That's actually a strength because your ability to process difficult emotion goes into everything that you do. You know, you'll be a better basketball player if you're more emotionally expressive and can deal with difficulty. You'll be a better CEO. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better communicator in relationships if you're able to process emotions and difficulty and talk about what's bothering you. So we, we, have to, we have to look at that as part of holistic development, just like your diet, you know, your mental diet and ability to express vulnerability uh, has to be a component of, of self-development. Yeah. Um, why do you think so much that, you know, we as men, a lot of times, especially black men, we tend to follow the, the generational curses and the paths of our, you know, fathers and things like that. Like, you know, 
in my case, my father really wasn't around. And so that made me long for something. So I made sure I gave that to my child. Like, what do you think kind of snaps in our mind where we, we tend to, you know, just continue that curse and, and can't correct ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, I, I would ch- challenge us by, by not calling it a curse. But I would say not not having, you know, language is important. I, I understand what you mean. But but when we say curse, we're basically saying that we can't get out of it when we say yeah. curse. Right. And so but I understand perfectly what you mean. So, yes, you know, we use the word generational curses. So I, I know exactly what you're saying. But what we have to understand is that we become what is modeled for us. Right. So I give you an example. My dad wasn't perfect. My dad was in the military. He worked in intelligence and got a master's in psychology. I have I have a master's in psychology, master's in counseling, getting a PhD in psych. Why? My dad did it. Yeah. I'm a community servant. Why? My dad did it. I played basketball at a high level, coach basketball, right? Why? My dad did it. You know, I listened to West Montgomery and jazz. Why? My dad gave me jazz records, right? And so modeling and, and social learning is how we develop those values. You know what I'm saying? So, so whether you have a, have a father in the home or not, it is important that young black boys see models for what they can become. And so what we think is a generational curse is a lack of models and seeing that alternative realities are possible. So so essentially, when we were repeating certain behaviors, we were not exposed to alternatives to see that we could do something different. Yeah. And I think also, like to piggyback on that, when you look at how easy it is to be an N-I-G-G-A, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you get you get praise. Because, Zach, we were talking about that, how how in coming up, you know, the white girls liked us, you know, but the black girls didn't like us. But the more niggerish we became, the more the sisters liked us, you know, and and the more respect we got. So when you fast forward into where we are now as grown men, as I look around, you know, it's just like, like, especially with social media. Mm -hmm. If I play the social media game, then I can get praises. I can feel all warm and fuzzy. But if I just be a regular black man, you don't get any kind of affirmation around that. You get no likes. You get no nothing. You get nothing. You sitting there like, man, I'm watching these clowns over here getting celebrated. But over here, all the black men that I know, man, it's like crickets. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, 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 what is it? I understand what it is, but I think that's one of the things we. We look at like like that. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's toxicity, man. So so like like the visions of manhood that we have are weak definitions of manhood that we learn and we were socialized by white men, right? So right. so internalized racism makes us believe that you know, I, I guess having edge, you know, women liking the bad boys. That's not something we created. When you look at these white shows like Grease and the motorcycle thing. What is the major thing that you see in movies that yeah. especially for, 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 for young white folks is the bad guy in high school gets all the girls. And then there's a nerd character that nobody likes 
until one day he helps the football player or something. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's a classic thing. Yeah, it's classic. They ran that in all the eighties. They ran that in all the eighties. Yeah. So, so, so what? So what? So what? That is modeling. We are socialized to see bad behavior and being edgy as being masculine, right? And so women, women become black women become attracted to that because we've been socialized that that's what masculinity is. I give you a perfect example of what I mean by modeling. Look at Russell Wilson versus the future debate. Right. right. And everyone calling Russell Wilson a herb. That is probably one put together, emotionally stable, knows himself brother. Right. Yeah. But because we have been socialized to, to associate with what future does as ultimate masculinity, then Russell Wilson does not stand a chance against these stereotypical and toxic visions of manhood that were passed down. And I keep emphasizing that it was passed down to us from white folks because we intuitively are loving people, right? Do you know any brothers to their core, that really want to hurt sisters. We don't, right? We're very protective of our mothers. We're very protective of our, uh, of, of our sisters. We're protective of our women cousins. But why do we act a fool in relationships? Because we've been taught that's what masculinity is. I've always, people have always asked me, how can somebody love their mother, sister, and cousins? They get in a relationship and act the complete opposite because we've been taught that's what masculinity is. So how do you respond to when you look at the other side of that. So you said mm-hmm. you've been taught that that's masculinity, but at the mm-hmm. same time, um, you would say, or you may not say, but black women are taught, hey, that's weak. So I don't love you unless, unless you make me bleed or you make me cry. And that's mm-hmm. a sad and sick way of looking at it. Yeah. But yeah. if we look across the board, or when I look across the board, I can't speak for everybody, but when I look across the board, it's a common denominator where it's just like, I've been a good dude, but I've also been a not so good dude. And yeah. when I'm a good dude, I'm a doormat. When I'm not such a good dude, oh, I'm I'm the I'm the cat's meow. So, mm-hmm. what type of accountability can we place on black women in that exchange? Yeah, I think that we're all we all are accountable. So I, I don't look at it like who's more accountable than the other black women and black men. We're all accountable because what we have forgotten that our ancestors knew and that our grandparents and some of our elders knew, we have forgotten as black men and black women that our collective survival is dependent upon us needing each other. We need each other. Just thinking that we do not need each other is why we act the way we act. Because if you understand that your collective survival is based on building beautiful black kids that are brilliant, and that my collective survival is tied to your collective survival, and together that's how we rise and defeat white supremacy. If we come from that notion, we can do anything. But we have we have forgotten that we need each other. It's so simple, it's profound. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the truth. And I mean, I I think that goes into like, you know, as we we talked about earlier, these black boys lost and things like that, like we 
a lot of us don't reach back to the community. Like we have our thing going on and things like that. And I can remember when I was young, remember they used to have like the, what was like the big brothers program. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, a black guy come pick you up and take you to the bowling alley and you know what I'm saying? Or whatever was going on. And I think that's something that the community kind of needs to get back to. Cause like you said, you can't model anything if you don't see it. And you know, I mean, you know, I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. As soon as we get a little money, we gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We gone out of the neighborhood and you know, we may go and back. We go, and we gone now because we trying to live. So it has some very yeah, real consequences. You know what I'm saying? Ain't that you don't love your people. You, you don't want to die either. You know yeah, that's a, you know what I'm saying? But we don't, you know, I think that hurts a lot of, you know, and not to say that kids other places don't act as bad, but in a lot of places, quote unquote, hoods, or, you know, things like that. I think those those young men don't get a chance to see men doing other things. They don't get to see, you know, the guy to get up every morning to go to work at the, you know, as a mechanic or, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, at the as a doctor or whoever, you know, whatever. We don't see those. They don't get to see those things. So they don't get but a couple of choices. And now with everything so accessible and visual, all they see is, oh, I want, you know, the quickest way to money is, you know, being a rapper, you know, doing something like that. So they don't even consider that a lot of times. You know, I, I tell you the importance of modeling. So when I met Dr. Joe White, the godfather of black psychology, who has passed on the glory now, he introduced me to so many black male psychologists that I thought that it was it was it was like limitless black male psychologists. Right. It wasn't until I got into school that I realized that black psychologists make up less than three or four percent of the licensed psychologists in the nation. And then if you think about black men, it might be under 1%, right? Oh, I can believe But because he had only exposed me to black male psychologists, what did I think? That it was possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even know the statistics, but I didn't realize that these brothers he was introducing me to was some of the only in the nation. <laughs> but right. it was because he modeled that for me, I thought it was possible. It wasn't until I saw the statistics. I was like, but it, the statistics didn't affect me because I knew I could do it because that's all he exposed me to. Right. And you saw it be done before. Yeah, that's real. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this has been wonderful, man. It's definitely one of those things where I feel, feel like we need more of this. But we need to make this fashionable because, Ed, you and I speak on the regular. And yes. we uh, speak about, you know, just the state of my mental health, what's going on around mm-hmm. That whole yeah. deal, when we look at making this fashionable for black men, and it's unfortunate because it's one of those things Z and I talk about, like, this is a grown man podcast. This ain't like, you no know, little mm-hmm. boy podcast. This ain't one of those things where you get, get so much community support because we're not sitting here doing the typical things. But when you look at making this fashionable, I feel like that's what we have to do to address our health. You know, make, make being healthy fashionable. That's what we have yeah. to do. I mean, that from Afros to Shell Toes uh, 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 under, you know, how it developed was the, was me being mentored by Dr. White, where I said, I have to create an organization that makes mental health fashionable, but does it in ways that you don't even know we're talking about mental health. And so everything that I do with from Afros to Shell Toes is psychological. I might not just be using psychological language. Like I'm not saying I'm doing you know, I'm working on you and your cognitive dissonance so we can have a adaptive strategy to deal with anxiety and depression. But the things that I do are helping you deal with those particular things that you are going through. But besides just the basic principle of us needing each other is that we, we have to understand 
that the more we as black men communicate and big each other up and support each other, that that's how we all win. Like, you don't get any points if you're just winning. Like, your circle needs to win. Everyone around you needs to win. And we think that you have to have, like, money or you have to have big organizations in order to move people. It is the everyday people in your life that create the personal revolution. So we have this hierarchy sometimes in the black community where if it's not the people you see on TV, we don't think that anyone can help us. But we all can help each other because we all have strengths and my weaknesses are your strengths and vice versa. And so how how we deal with that as black men is to continue to understand that the more we support each other, the more we create space for each other to talk about the difficulty, that's how we develop the antidote and the coping strategies. Because Okiba has dealt with some things he can give me game on. Zach, you've dealt with some things. I've dealt with some things. Um, But sometimes with brothers, unfortunately, white supremacy and market forces make us believe that when we get money, our success that, that we have to act a certain way outside of being around our people. And so we have to, we have to, to know that no matter how high we rise or, or how low we fall, that we have to be there for each other as Black men. Mm-hmm. And when you create that space, you're actually alleviating future problems from happening. Because I can tell you this, the conversations that me and Okiba have had have kept us from smacking folks like Will Smith did Chris Rock because we have had a, a space to talk about things. So we're not activated to the point that we have to act out because we're constantly feeding each other and getting things out in process. Yeah. And I think that was a result of, like you said, bottled emotions, not being able to release. He had been through a lot, you know, in the last year and, you know, on everything. And he was, you know, I can't take it no more. Trauma. <laughs> Trauma. Will Smith saw his dad saw his dad beat the hell out of his mother. He felt helpless. Will Smith is in Hollywood where you can only be a certain kind of Negro to make it. So people call him corny, but he had to be that respectable Negro in order to rise. Right. Authentic black men are not given the same space to do that. So you got a Philly guy that has altered himself to be this respectable Negro that's really not him. So you got that tension. Then being emasculated by his wife in public forms, and he already has trauma that he has not dealt with. And what happens with Black folks when we have trauma, we don't act out against the system of oppression that is causing the trauma. We act out on other Black folks who are helpless that have no power. Mm. Yeah, that's real, man. We, we we really thank you for this conversation, man. This is a uh, because you know, notice he didn't, he didn't smack on Travolta. <laughs> he smacked another black man. That yeah, no and you know that we talked about it on past podcasts. <laughs> I don't know if he would have smacked John Travolta if he said the same thing. No. You know what I mean? It's like you know we we tend to you know like you said it's a you know that 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 um, internal racism we have for each other, and you know what I mean yeah, that self hate, and you know what I mean we, we we lash out against each other, and you know how quick we are to you know you know, getting a fight with another black man when we might think, think for a second before we jump on a white boy or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's yeah. definitely something that, that, that plagues us. 
Mm-hmm. White supremacy's greatest trick is getting us to believe that it doesn't exist. So if I can if I can feed internalized racism into you, then then all of your behavior that's informed by white supremacy, I can wash my hands and say that you're crazy when I created the psychological atmosphere for your dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real. That's like setting me on fire and blaming me for smelling like smoke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, it's on fire. <laughs> and I lit the match. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right, right. But it's it's not complicated, man. You know, like I'm getting this degree to help black people because unfortunately, white folks think that you have to have a PhD to talk about these things. So this degree is about me healing other black people. I could care less about about healing white folks at this point in my career. This degree is about healing black people, giving us the emotional resources to have emotional stability, to be our best selves, live our best lives and get back to 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 how life should be, man. We should have joy. We should be happy. We should be doing the uh, <laughs> the Tootsie Roll at the barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We shouldn't have all this angst, man. We should we should be able to have some joy, man. And, and just telling other brothers that happiness and joy is something accessible. We just might have to just process and get through things. Because think about this. Do you know any black man that is not resilient and doesn't work hard? Right? All of us do. Yeah. But we all don't have the psychological resources, our resilience to get through things when we have setbacks. That's the only difference. Right. right. That's real. That's real. Well, Ed, we thank you, man. We thank you for, uh, you know, dropping this knowledge on us, man. Um, we love to have you back. You know, I, I just think mental health is just something that, you know, just needs to be talked about more. Like in the community, you know, a lot of us, you know, probably myself included, need to go talk to somebody, get some, you know, some some traumas out and things like that, you know, because we all deal with stuff, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, man, I, it's like clear as day. I can remember like one of my biggest letdowns was one time my dad was supposed to, you know, be bringing me something for Christmas and he ain't show mm-hmm. up and you know what yeah. I'm saying? And it's like, it, I, I can remember the, how the house Like made. it just happened. Like it just happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like things like that we don't unpack and I probably overdo things for my daughter, you know, because of that. Like, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And and, and maybe it, it, it worked out for the better for her, but you know what I'm saying? It's still something that's internalized within myself and, you know, just other things in life that have happened to us. And, you know, my childhood wasn't that, that bad, but I know people who've been through a lot worse stuff than, you know, I had, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even thinking about that part of it, which is just like, it's so much, and this isn't like, this is just like one of my personal things that I've noticed. Whenever mm-hmm. I express like what the trauma is that I'm going through, I normally get a couple of couple of responses. One is that deflection of Jabali, your thing ain't that bad. You know what I'm saying? You got mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Look around, blah, blah, blah. But they don't, they're not hearing me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're not hearing me. Me saying, hey man, you know, the only time like when we do this podcast, this is one of the few spaces where it's safe for me to speak out, have another brother that I respect and love speak back into me, and then we put it out publicly. But a majority of the time, they don't even want to hear what the hell I'm talking about, even when I'm accurate, even when I'm hitting. So like having a brother like Ed, brother, we appreciate you being on because it allows for our feelings, our reality to be validated because they don't even take our feelings serious until somebody with a PhD says, yeah, what these brothers going through, that's really what they're going through. Yeah. And, and you know, and you know what, Okiva? That's the only reason I went back to get my degree. Right. It's because they only listen to people that got PhDs. But <laughs> what they hate is how I use my 
my degree. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so when I become a doctor, they don't like the fact that I'm using my degree to liberate other black folk. Mm, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're going to get rid of you. No, I'm just telling you. <laughs> oh, man, oh, can tell you, man, I, I have burned on the cross trying to yeah. get this PhD. Yeah. Anything you can do to a doc student has been done to me. I've been, I've been oppressed and, and, a, and a doctoral slave for six years, bro. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. So, Ed, we got a part of the show we call the altar call where we kind of talk about current events going on. You know, you got to keep that going on. That's what they want to hear about good. anyway. You know, our ideas and things like that. And we love for you to stay around for that. So, um, you know, we're going to jump off into that real quick. We got a, a couple little different um, events we then pulled up and, you know, got sent. So uh, this was one of them. So uh, Young Jock, the rapper, he's on a, a radio station down here in Atlanta, um, Streets 94. Um, he was speaking to one of the women that worked with him. And she was saying the ideal first date is 200 to $400. I mean, I, I, it's gotten crazy out here in the streets if, you, if you're mm. a single man. So, you want to jump so, on that end, or who, who wants to jump on that first? You can go first, okay? I'm trying not to laugh because I got so many things to say. You can, go, you can go ahead and jump in. Yeah, so, so, so we spoke about, we did a podcast, like, should men just uh, start paying for it? You know, like, 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 just paying for sex, just get it out the way and be done with it. Yeah. And that's a prime yeah. example of that. So this whole idea that I need to pay two hundred or four hundred dollars to take you out on a date, the first date too, the first date. So it's not like it goes down from there. Like we go from lobster and shrimp to hot dogs on the second date, it goes up. So my thing is like, if I'm at two four hundred bucks, let's be transparent. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. If I see you from across the street, I'm not looking at your personality. Nine times out of ten. I'm looking at whatever's packing them jeans, whatever's packing that shirt, whatever it is that I like. So I if see I, Paolo coming out, hey, I'm just being <laughs> honest about what that is, right? So yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you multiply five dates by four hundred dollars, that's two grand to get. And I'm not saying, well, this is what I'm saying. I ain't gonna say what I'm not saying. Yeah, <laughs> as a man mm-hmm. who's, who's pursuing what we're pursuing, and then yeah. you have women on the other side telling you that you need to spend X, Y, and Z. Why not just say this is how much it costs to do what you're looking to do? That's how I look at it. Yeah, I, I will say I'm gonna give I'm gonna give all the brothers that watch this game. You don't need a dollar to to woo a woman. The only thing women want is to be considered, to be valued, and to be considered. And so, what do I mean? So, what most women will tell you that date rich men is they say, he doesn't, he doesn't respect me. He doesn't listen to my problems. He doesn't do this. They're never satisfied with the rich brother, right? Because yeah. he has nothing else to offer, but his I money. Women thought, want man. to be considered. You can, you can get some hot links, some white bread <laughs> and make her and make her a nice playlist. And she will love you to death and you ain't got to spend $200 and $400 if you understand women enough to consider them. So would you say a woman? Because there's a difference between a female and a woman. So what you just described is a woman. Well, well, I, I, I would say I, I just don't like the term female. So I would say they're all women. Some, some may be more underdeveloped in their expectations. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... So, so all women, 
you know, what you're saying, female, I'm just going to say all women. All women want to be considered. They just never have been, so they settle. Mm. Well, that's real. As we're talking about the difference between uh, a women and a female, uh, underdeveloped women. Uh, so Cam Newton caught a lot of heat this week. He was on a podcast, Million Dollars Worth of Game. And, um, you know, he just said um, the women, not the boss bitches or bad bees or whatever you yeah. want to call them, uh, need to know how to cater to a man and know how to be quiet. Um, also, you know, especially a lot of them can't cook and, you know, they need to know when to let a man leave. Um, you know, what y'all fellas think about that one? You <laughs> said the white man gonna get you in trouble, Cam. When I <laughs> when, when I saw that, I said, you know what? That's that's the that's the bill of goods that he has been sold, and that those are white supremacist notions. Like, because one of the things that you know really has sustained us and, and, and sustained us as black people is that we didn't have these fixed gender roles that they have here in, in America, right? We were a communal people that played several roles in each other's lives. And so that toxic masculinity that he's spewing, that's socialized behavior, man. Um, when you want a person, what, what people don't understand, like people, people, people ask, okay, so why did grandmas do everything for their men and younger women don't. Remember what I said is that we understood that we needed each other. So it was actually a respect thing. So yes. if I'm not able to go out there and work and you are my husband and you're dealing with all this racism to bring home a check, because I love you and we're in this together, I will do things in service to you. Not that I want to be submissive and these are the roles. It's because I care about you enough and I and I want you to be whole enough that I want to be of service to you. And people got it screwed up that that's the ultimate, uh, the ultimate sacrifice. Love is about sacrifice. Yeah. So our grandparents understood that. So we get caught up in these gender roles and these tax, toxic visions of masculinity, but it also shows me Cam has never been loved, have gotten the love that he needed to understand that he shouldn't even shouldn't even subscribe to those notions. Because if the right woman loves you, black women elevate us. We become our best selves when the right woman helps us. Looking at you want to jump on a Z? Oh no, I was just gonna say I agree with every you know everything he's saying and you know, we've said this on past podcasts as well. Like, I think a lot of the younger generation looks back at grandma and all them and taking care of the household. And they look at her as like, she, she, like you said, she was weak and submissive when the reality is they were running the show. Like most of our grandfather and things yep. like that, they came home, gave her the check. She gave, gave her the check. A couple of dollars to go get a beer and, you know, a bottle exactly. or whatever he wanted. And he didn't know what was going on. And, you know, we've seen it in the past when the when the, 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 the grandmother dies before the grandfather, grandfather lost. He don't know what to do. He, no, can't, to do. he don't know how to pay a bill. He don't know how to do mm-hmm. nothing because she was, you know, controlling the show and running the show. And one, I think, I think Cam kind of worded what he was trying to say wrong. Like I, I understand what he was trying to say, maybe more a more traditional situation that some women have forgotten maybe to be more traditional in a situation. And they, you know, a little, you know, a little bit quicker to, you know, 
spout off at you or something like that or disrespect you. That, but it didn't come off right, like you said. He, you know, what I'm saying. And again, it was the wrong messenger, Cam. You've been, you know what I mean. They've been on you for years now, so you just need to be quiet, really. Well, hey, I'm, I'm gonna come to Cam's defense. That's what I'm about to do. I'm about to come okay. to Cam's defense, where Cam has been a product, like shoes, socks, you know, draws, his entire life since he could throw a football, run the football, this and the third. Brother's been a product. He hasn't had the comfort to be a person, right? And this is just my view. And also, like, just looking at my relationships with the athletes and that whole part. Mm-hmm. So even in him saying, okay, women don't know when to be quiet. And he may be talking about the woman that he's been around. Well, unfortunately, we live in a space where women are, are how do I want to put this? Women are celebrated and reinforced for their dysfunctional behavior. And what I mean by that is saying that I can be married to a woman. She could cheat on me. She could spend all the money. She could beat the kids. She could beat on me. The second I take her down to court to divorce her, now I have to pay her for her dysfunction. The second I call her out and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's been going on. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm hating. I'm bashing. I don't like women. I don't this, that, and a third. But all I'm doing is simply telling the truth about this reality. So Cam is in a space, like so many other brothers, the second you speak against that dysfunction, all of a sudden, everybody come out, out the woodworks. When the truth is, a lot of these sisters, unfortunately, weren't raised mm-hmm. by their fathers. So they don't mm-hmm. have a level of respect that they should have just to be in relationships. I'm not even saying because I'm a man. I'm saying having a level of respect just to be in a relationship at work mm-hmm. with other women. So when you have this woman whoever that woman may be, who feels like I have so much anger about my dad not being here, I being that woman. So I'm not, I'm about to be a bad beat. I'm about to do this. Ain't no man about to do this. Now she could be totally wrong and -hmm. she could still pop off crazy. And everybody don't have the restraint to not pop you in the mouth. That's the reality of this. So, you know what I'm saying? Like I get what Cam is coming from because some of these sisters don't know when to shut up. And some of these brothers don't know how to change a tire. So I'm going to call both of them out and saying, okay, brother, you can't even change the tire. How are you the man of the house? Brother, you can't even fix screwing the light bulb. You know what I'm saying? But, sister, if you can't cook, if you can't clean, and if you always run in your mouth because you're trying to get back at your daddy not being there, that is problematic. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so, I, so I would just say that to say that there's a lot of truth in that whole mix while still acknowledging this brother ain't never been allowed to be a regular person, man, his whole life. Without being, oh, a I mean, he's definitely underdeveloped. What what I will agree with you on is that what Cam is really saying is that I have not experienced a woman that I feel values me, or sees me, or respects me, and how he came out was was very was very toxic. But it just it just shows me that he hasn't felt value in his relationships with women. Because if he felt valued, respected, and loved, he wouldn't have that, you know, disposition, you know. And it's really not about <clears throat> men do this, women do this. It's, it's, it goes back to what I was saying about our collective survival, because you, can, you cannot know how to change a tire, but have other skills that make a relationship work as a man. Right. 
But if it's not valued by a woman who's never had a father, then you mm-hmm. have it's so that's, that's, that's the point. That's the that's yeah. the point I'm agreeing with you on. Because yeah. what you're talking about is the, the dysfunction comes from him not being valued and then a woman having the trauma of an absentee father. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. So what 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 that part of it in saying in saying like him not being valued, like speaking to his truth. So he's speaking to his truth. So even if it's viewed as a toxic version, if he's surrounded by nothing but but toxic elements and he's speaking to that truth, does that truth disappear and melt down into falsehood? Or is it just like the brother just telling his truth? Because all of us have been around one black woman or one woman or another who feels empowered to say really disrespectful things to me. I've seen that. You know what I'm saying? And I've seen every man, white, black, whatever, is not going to let you get up in his face like you some dude. That's just the reality. I've taught my girls like, look, I'm here, but don't call me outside for your foolishness. If you put your hands (laughs) on another man, one of these boys, just because you can't control yourself, that's different than you minding your business. He putting his hands on you. You know, so it's just like those. It's so many it's so many, it's such a sensitive space. So even like I say things all the time, it's politically and politically incorrect, but I mean, that's, that's, that's who you are. You, you are political, the politically incorrect person. And I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with being who you are, but what I'm speaking to with Cam is that what he, what he said is toxic because it is a very limited way of looking at the dynamic between men and women. Yes. It's informed by the things that you said. That's what, that's what I agree with you on. But it's still toxic because he he sounds like women are disposable and, and supposed to be of service to him. And it goes back to these these notions of masculinity that we have adopted here in America from other toxic white men. Because but, if that's he, how they, but if that's his reality and I'm not I'm not. Well, I'll say what I am doing with him mm-hmm. being a product, you know, a product like some socks and some drawers and some basketball shoes. And he brings home all of the money, mm-hmm. his household and his family. And he's with a woman who doesn't, may not cook, may not clean. And he's looking like, how is it that I'm doing all of this so-called, like you said, the white man's toxic runnings, mm-hmm. bringing home all yeah. of me, risking my life, risking my health on this football field. And you can't even, you ain't got my dinner ready. The clothes ain't clean. The clothes ain't full. How is that not? Because it's just like, you, we can't be selective about who's doing what, when they're doing. If I'm working, bringing home all the money, we all got to eat. The kids got to get to school on time. And you home and you ain't working nowhere. So what is that? Well, I, I will say it isn't, it, 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 we can't force a woman to cook and clean. But what I was saying at the point earlier about when, when a woman loves you and value, values you, she will be of service to you. So, so he's looking for value, right? Because when a woman loves you and values you, she's going to take care of you at a certain level if she values you. Like you don't have to give her a role. When someone loves you, they rise to the occasion because in your relationship, like you you and your wife moved to Charleston, you didn't have to give her a list. Hey, okay, I want you to support me like this. I want you to do this. She gets it because she values you and loves you and can anticipate your needs and tell you things you ain't even thought of because no. she values you. 
No, and that's real. And that 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 leads off into the, <laughs> to the next joint we had. Um, so um, from Love and Hip Hop fame, uh, Erica Mena and uh, Rich Dollars, they were on the Shade Room's Great Debate. And she was talking about how you can't expect a, be, a woman to be submissive unless they're in a safe space. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, that goes back to like them feeling love, like some stuff you don't have to request or don't have to ask a woman to cater to you and things like that if you're doing everything on your side of the, you know what I'm saying? On your side of the relationship. Mm. You, you know, I had uh, a situation where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a tall guy, you know what I'm saying? At this point, I'm cut from the basketball team. I, I have nothing that says that I'm supposed to be able to, as we say, pull this particular person or this woman that is out of my my bracket, right? Yeah. And all the guys are telling me it's not going to happen, right? But I was able to develop a relationship with someone at the time that, that all other men thought was unattainable because I considered this person. And so that's why I go back to like, you have to consider women. A woman will be submissive. She will do, anticipate your needs. She will do whatever when she feels safe and respected. You will not have to tell her, give her a list to do anything. She will do that in service to you because she feels respected and validated and you consider this person. So would you say a a woman who's primed for the pump or just because it's it's and what I what I mean by that mm-hmm. is that I I always say there's a difference between a male and a man. There's a difference okay. between a female and a woman. And just because you're born as a with woman parts, it doesn't make you a woman. Just because you're born with male parts doesn't make you a man. So when looking you sound, at you sound like an old Southern Charleston grandfather right now. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like, and the reason why I say that is because yeah. we've all have done things that made us a man. You know, like like yeah, we all have children, but it's a whole different ball game when you raise them. It's a whole different ball game when. Unfortunately for like this circle that we're in and having to divorce my wife and take my daughters with me mm-hmm. and raise them and sacrifice my career. This is like a whole, yeah. and this isn't like a like pat me on the back thing, but it's saying. No, no, it's a real thing. Yeah, I've learned the difference between the two. So sometimes when we have these expectations placed on saying all are equal, like, like and my wife and I have this debate all the time where, She'd be like, oh, well, she's a woman because of blah, blah, blah. I said, well, if you, if you can leave your children stranded over here and go mm-hmm. about your business, to me, you ain't a woman. You're female. Like a dog can have puppies. You know, but when you look at that part of it, it's such a sticky space. So saying making a woman feel safe. How do you make a black woman feel safe in this construct where if my woman feels safe, if I make a million dollars a year, right? I got to make a million dollars a year, which means I ain't got no time for you. I ain't got no time for these kids. I ain't got no time for, for none of that. I need to focus on this, but now I need to make you feel safe. How is that possible? I'm well, what, I, what I'm saying about, about feeling safe, safe and value, it, it doesn't take money to, for, for a person to feel value. So it goes back to what I was saying about our collective survival is depending upon us needing each other. When we respect and value each other, any, anything can happen in a relationship. 
And most most relationships that are sustainable is that when you respect and value and consider each other and there's a mutual respect, both parties end up rising. So you may have five dollars before y'all met each other, but you got two hundred fifty thousand. She got. 275,000 because you all coming together with that mutual respect and value, you bring out the best in each other. What happens with these toxic notions of, of, of these roles that we feel we have to play uh, in relationships, we feel it's a competition that we have to win instead of the collective survival of black people. So this is the last one we're going to talk about. Um, uh, internet comedian Drewski, he had made a skit where it was kind of describing, he was really making fun of it, but I think uh, the internet kind of jumped on him the wrong way, where mm-hmm. he was making a skit about men who force alcohol on women. The, the guy at the party, the guy in your crew that likes to force alcohol mm-hmm. on women to try to mm-hmm. get them to get to a certain point. And, um, you know, like we we talked about, that's that toxic hyper-masculinity, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, and as you said, as I thought about it, as I'm saying it right here, like, that's something we were shown in those same 80s movies with the bad boy and, you know, things like that. the red cups at the Fred house. Hey, (laughs) Sarah, drink a little bit of the punch. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what was it like? I always think back when they talk about all these, uh, you know, the culture, the difference in the culture. I remember like, you remember the old, what was that? Like Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. the guy put on a costume and had sex with the girl and he wasn't even, you know, she thought it was the boyfriend. Like he, I mean, yeah. he raped her on the, you know what right. I'm saying? Right. Or back to the future yeah. where Biff was raping the girl in the car, you know, the mom in the car. Like, it's like, I don't think we, we looked at those things and that's just something that's, you know, kind of bled into our society and things like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as a young man, I mean, I'm not going to tell no lies. I wasn't trying to, you know, spike them or nothing, but we like, Hey, y'all want some liquor? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. 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 Because we were so, we were socialized to think that's what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, so you asked me what I think about like the drug and women or, or that kind of thing. Well, just, the, just uh, you know, just the masculine, you know, the toxic masculinity of us thinking that, you know, we got to pry women with alcohol to get what we want and, you know, things like that. Rape, rape culture is very, very prevalent in, in, in society. One of the tactics that was used in slavery was rape. Black men were raped. Black women were raped. And so, you know, we, we think that it's accept- acceptable, especially here in America, to 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 get what you want, especially as a man, you supposed to get you supposed to give it to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think it ain't cool. Like, if you got to get a drunk, and Zach and I is like, I remember being in <laughs> shit, man, ninth grade, walking around there. You know what I'm saying? We be in school drinking. You know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> on that mad dog, on that mad dog, 2020 poured in the in the grape uh, Welch's uh, soda cans, and this in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of those things, well, unfortunately, it is one of those things when, when you look at the media, you look at who's feeding these images to us, that's normalized. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're sitting there saying, okay, well, shoot, if I can get you feeling as good as I'm feeling, then things can happen. And that's unfortunate because we have so much displaced energy and even a correct view on what in the hell are we supposed to be doing. You know, why are we in the ninth grade, Zach, drink Mad Dog 2020 at school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like at school, between classes, going to class, drunk as hell in the ninth grade. Well, you know what got what got Cosby in trouble was 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 normalized rape culture, but he forgot that you can't do what the white boys do because you're a black man. 
right? You know, Spanish fly. There were drugs mm-hmm. to make women supposedly a little looser so you could have your way with them. So it was normalized, but you can't do what Hugh Hefner does. Hugh Hefner is considered, you know, the ultimate playboy that's respectable and he, he it's very rapey, the stuff that he used to do, man. That's that's rape culture. <laughs> we seeing, you know, Cooper Gooden just caught it this week. You yeah. know, for, for, for grabbing on them women and had to plead guilty. And, you know, yeah. a funny story, man, I saw him one time at $3 Cafe that used to be uh, yeah. on Peace Street in Buckhead. Like, uh, this had to be like 2003, 2002. And, and he a wild boy. That's all I'm going to say. Like, you know, he, he I, this with my own eyes. So, cool. I, I, I can't tell you today, but you know you was in there one Sunday when football was on and you was, you was wide open, daddy. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So you a wild boy, you know what I'm saying? And I, like you said, you think that's okay, you know, at a time, you know, he a little bit closer than Bill, but, you mm-hmm. know, you think that fame just make you be able to do what you want to with a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I think even, and it's, and it, I'll say this and leave it alone, but it's, it's so unfortunate because you have this thing where that's a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, like mm-hmm. in the arts, Ain't no HR department. I tell my wife that all the time. Oh, yeah. She doesn't oh, get yeah. it. So I, I was like, if I had a dollar for every opportunity I passed up on simply for not sleeping with a woman and mm-hmm. not, you're not taking certain things, like, yeah. and a woman of power in the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so when you have that part of it, like, that's a part of the culture. And then it's like when that culture bleeds out, it's a problem. You know, and it's, it's like we know what it is. We know what this has been. And it hasn't changed, and unfortunately, it's not going to change because that's the nature of that business. But then, once you kind of let it bleed out, that's when it's a problem, and it's it's rough man, because you got to live according to a standard that doesn't really exist. Oh yeah, and, and you and you know, man, it's 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 nothing funny about rape culture, and so that that's that one of the things, the positive, some of the positive things about the Me Too movement. That uh, sister Tanya Burke, I think it's Tanya Burke. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that sister's name right. That started the movement, this black, the black woman, was that you know rape culture had been so normalized. We we had, you know, women had to start speaking out, man, because it's it's normalized to the point that people make jokes about rape. I, I can't tell you how many clients that I have that are young men that I have to to counsel them on. You know, when their male ego feels threatened, that does not mean that you take advantage of a woman. They do not. They do not. Some of my clients understand that what they're doing is wrong. They think it is normal to rape and and to involve themselves in rape culture. And I think we it was like you said, it just was something that was so normal. Mm -hmm. All of us then then kept begging for it. You know what I'm saying? She didn't say it no once. And come on, come on, come on. You know, you trying to go back in and you know get your little feel or something like that. And you know, you look back at it. You know, we was creeps. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, we we, we have all had to let me just put the tip in conversation. We didn't know it was rapey. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> we saw somebody else do it. Boy, you know what I'm saying, man? That, that's real. And I had I, I, I wasn't gonna bring this one up because we've been running a little long but I had to bring this one up because I wanted to get your feedback Ed on this one and this is something that keeps coming up in the culture and I think that uh, so Benzino from you know I hate to do love and hip hop fame if that does make you famous but you know he's a Source Magazine owner and things like that all about Benzino yeah, yeah. He, he, he recently uh, a few days ago was outed by a transgender 
mm-hmm. you know, with conversations and things like I, like, um, you know, conversations he had with her and, you know, you could really almost hear him pleading as, as, as I think the stance of how the black community views that type thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care if it ain't my business, it ain't my business who you sleep with, but you know what I'm saying? I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't have this conversation. Like, you know, you got men over here creeping and bringing things back to the, the women and you know what I'm saying? And things like that. Like, you know, I, I definitely think that's something that uh, definitely a mental issue that needs to be tackled in the community is the, you know, the whole homosexuality or bisexual mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. Yeah. With Benzino, I, I, I don't know the program and they not paying me. So even if I knew the program, I wouldn't say it, but he was on this reality show once and he just had this breakdown. Right. And so the therapist and me, I said, you know what Benzino's biggest problem is, is that he has suffered some life suffered from some lifelong traumas that has him hyper masculine to the point that it made me question, you know, had he been raped? Had he experienced um, abuse when he was younger? Because his behavior seems to fit a trauma profile. So when when it came out that he may have been with a tranny, it made sense to me because anyone that is hyper-masculine to the point that it's a performance is, is normally having some kind of trauma-based identity struggle within themselves. So I wasn't shocked because I thought that he was, was dealing with a lot of other trauma. So I, I actually am empathetic to what he's going through because I see it as a trauma profile coming out in his behavior. Yeah. And so what do you think? I mean, I, I mean, as a community, like I, I know, like you talked about, you know, men were raped and things like that. Mm-hmm. What are, what are we, what can we change to, you know, I, I mean, we have to say they still our brothers. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. The yeah. Day, so, they still so. our brothers. What do we do to, you know, support it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure like they say, you know, one in five of us probably doing it. So we we don't know. We might got a homeboy that's in that life. Yeah. You know so, you, so, you, so you saying a homeboy that's gay or transgendered or just yeah, like gay or messing with okay. trans. I'm like, yeah, you know so, what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it ain't came across, I, I, I t- you know, uh, our radar. But, you know, if we encounter it, like what, you know. Man, what, I, have, I have friends of, of, of various you know, expressions outside of being heterosexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do it. So yeah. I yeah. Have, and so and so one of the things I don't do, like like white people like, oh my black friend Ed. I don't say, yeah, my gay friend Bob. <laughs> you know, they yeah, are yeah, just yeah. my brother. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so and so so I, I think that we have to understand what what ties all of us uh, as black men is that whether we're gay, straight, in between, that being black men in America, we still have the same reality. And if there's anything that bonds us, it's the it's the desperate and, and oppressive treatment that we get from a white supremacist system. That alone should make any black man be able to connect with another black man, no matter what their expression is. But but it also it also comes from what I was saying about how we're socialized and modeling. My mother had had a had had, had a had a gay brother who uh, loved the arts to the point that I actually thought this brother was James Baldwin. Like when I was younger, I thought he was James Baldwin, right? Because my mother 
never told me, hey, don't listen to, to James, don't, don't, don't read James Baldwin, he's gay. So I never saw that expression as something to critique. I was raised in that way. And so I developed a value system to be respectful of people who are not just heterosexual. So I grew up, you know, not seeing it as a problem. So it, it, it is also about not only just, uh, it's not about just parenting, but other black people modeling ways of respect for people that just don't identify, you know, as heterosexual. Because one of the things that people are always shocked about is in the, in the color purple in Alice Walker's book, you know, there's a lesbian relationship in that particular book. Yeah. It, it happened, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and it's something that is the dirty little secret. It's two things that are the dirty little secret in, in, in black households. Sexual abuse and people yes. that color outside the lines of being heterosexual. Those are the two things that are taboo for us to talk about. Like we supposed to hate trans and gay brothers when if they walk down the street and the police saw them, they're going to get their butt whooped just like me. They see them as black men. <laughs> no, nah, that's real. That's real. That's definitely something we, we, we have, have to unpack. And, you know, I, you know, I, and, and even, you know, and talking to the brothers that I know that, you know, like you said, the color outside those lines, like when you really sit down and talk to one of them and how many years they live their life, not even wanting to be like that, oh, yeah. like not wanting to be themselves. It's like, whoa, like I didn't even, you know, you just thinking like, oh, he gay as he always wanted to be gay. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But these brothers, you know, have, you know, lost family members like, uh, you know, a gay brother. I know they, they pretty much did an exorcism on him. Like mm-hmm. took him in the church and pouring yeah. holy water on him down yeah. in the country, like all kind of craziness, you know what I'm saying? And foolishness. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely something, you know, so, you know, I, I, I feel for Benzino. I know being in the public eye, it can't be, yeah, you know, can't be. you know, but you got to, you know, at the same time, though, you know, I tell brothers, y'all got to live in y'all truth. You know, y'all, yeah. <laughs> you I, know, it ain't everybody's business, actually, but if you you're in the public eye and they come out, they, you know what I'm saying? You, you're you going to face some backlash probably. I, I actually was worried about him killing himself because he, I, the, a lot of stuff that I've seen on the reality shows, you know, he has a lot of emotional instability that leads me to believe that he, he's, he has had some deep trauma in his life. Yeah, yeah. He was he was just crying. He got arrested or something the other day. He was crying and punching somebody's car and all kind of stuff. I, I mean, it was just him going to jail. He had punched somebody's car or something, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, like you said, you, you got all that emotional stuff tied up. You got, the, you know, it's going to come out somewhere. I'm sure if we were able to sit in on a counseling session with Benzino, we would probably hold, clutch our pearls on all the things that this brother has gone through. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ed, man, we thank you for, you know, being down with us, man. And we, we oh, sorry love, we kept you so you know, long. It's like the barbershop. I can run my mouth with the best of them. I, yeah, I yeah, just yeah, like... man. And we, we definitely have to have you back. And, um, you know, just continue to unpack this because it's, 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 it's so much trauma in our... Um, you know, almost in our DNA and the things we have to put up with, whether it's watching us being killed on TV and, you know, everything. We probably could go on for two, three hours talking about the, you know. the. <laughs> I did I did want to say this, man. For, for brothers getting their healing, it's simple. Are you okay? How many times have Akiba text me that or I text him that? I see something like, uh, do you talk? <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> I mean, it's even to the point of Akiba knows my wife monitors his page and she'll be like, uh, you need to go on talk to Akiba this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
Absolutely. And I think, yeah, 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 that's something. You know, O'Keefe, know, I reach out to him, yeah. you know, all the time about stuff anyway. But I mean, that's, you're right. We do need to check on each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and make it okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 make it okay to say, man, brother, I'm really going through X, Y, and Z. Like, like some brothers that you trust. Like, one, find some brothers that you trust. And two, it's okay to speak to that. You know, because it's just like, I'm a, I'm viewed in my family in certain areas as a crazy one. Mm-hmm. Where I'm the married one, raises two kids. I know. You know what I'm saying? Put together <laughs> yeah. like hundreds of black businesses. You know, like like when you look at me in comparison to everybody else, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know you follow the crazy one, right? And, and people, people don't like how you present your truths. Uh, they don't. They don't like. The, the, they don't like the packaging. You know they want it sugar coated. They need the medicine with some, um, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like I had to give my dog some medicine. I had to wrap it in some cheese to, right. you know, <laughs> down his throat. You know what I mean? Like that's just the, the truth. Yeah. People don't like that uh, that hard liquor coming down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you, bro. Oh yeah, no, so man, we- I, I needed this, man. This was a great way to spend my birthday, like with some other brothers. Talking shop. So, yeah. Yeah. And happy birthday to you, man. And we thank you for taking the time out of your birthday to spend with us. To, oh, you know, man, this is this is part of a celebration. If if you can't be there, like like Okiba can tell you, I don't just research black men. I, I'm, I'm a brother for real. If you can't be there for other brothers, I'm not worth what I say. I ain't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and where can people, if they want to reach out to you or, or follow you or anything, well, or get yes. in touch with your Afro? I, I, have doc, I have doctoral bills to pay. If you need my services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, ElwardGarns.com, man. ElwardGarns.com. Elward is spelled just like Elward, and my last name is Garns, G-A-R-N-E-S. ElwardGarns.com. Okay, man. So any of our listeners, man, y'all want to reach out, like he said, you know, brothers, it's a small percentage of these brothers that you can talk to. So he's one of them, you know what I'm saying? And it sounds like he was mentored by the best, you know what I mean? The Godfather. So, you know, that's definitely something to reach out to, man. And, uh, you know, we're not going to break down the social media handle, handle so I can stumble through those again this week. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, elvagons.com, man. You can, that's, that's the best way to find me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, we thank you guys for tuning in with us this week and, um, you know, coming back, listen each and every week. And if it's your first time, welcome. We hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, just uh, tune back in, man, each and every Sunday, 7 p.m. Right. We're here, man. That's Rose yeah. and Grass Knuckles, baby. We out here. Yeah, every, yeah. And, oh, and as always, if you like the things we say and you think they made you feel some type of way, that was a good word you need to hear today. It's the Rose and Brass Knuckles podcast. We'll see you next week. All right. Pass that collection plate, y'all. All right, now. Rose and Brass Knuckles Podcast.